Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Liz. I greatly appreciate it. Uh, there are a lot of things coming here in the month of December, uh, so make sure you're listening to the announcements here uh, because everybody pays attention when they're in church, right? Um, so make sure you're listening to those announcements. Make sure you're watching the, the videos that come out every Monday uh, and every Thursday on Facebook Live on our church's uh, page. We're sharing those across all the different ministry pages. Uh, there's information there for you guys. Uh, now, I am super, super, super excited about Christmas. Christmas is one of my favorite times of the year. Um, we're those crazy people uh, in our family um, that decorate uh, typically on Halloween night for Christmas. Um, so we're those people that believe that, that Christmas um, is all of November except for the day of Thanksgiving. Um, and then all the way through December, uh, we're those people like we like to be in the Christmas spirit. We like to sing. Uh, we like to have Christmas music playing uh, probably uh, to our children's bane of existence. Uh, we listen to it in the car. Uh, we sing very loudly and we embarrass our children uh, when it comes on in the department store and we're there. Um, it is so much fun. Uh, and it's grand. We love it. Uh, so we're kicking off this new series today called The Carols of Christmas, More Than Meets the Ear. We have been singing Christmas carols uh, for most of our life. We hear them every single Christmas time. They're played on the radio. We hear them in stores. We sing them in church. And by the end of the Christmas season, we're beginning to hum them under our breath um, all the way till the end. Now, the truth is, though, the truth is, is that most of us, if we're honest, we have little to no idea what the second line of those Christmas carols truly are. And now half the time, we barely get the chorus right, even when the lyrics are in front of us. We kind of sort of mumble it out. Uh, I remember two specific times when I was a child uh, that I would hear Christmas carols uh, sung. I would hear them on the radio. I'd hear them in church. Uh, and for a long time, I thought that the lyrics were something different. So um, Joy to the World, um, as a kid, would always be a really fun a song to sing, it would, get, it would be loud, it would be really upbeat, uh, but I used to think that it said, joy to the world, the Lord has gum. Now, I love gum, um, I chew gum frequently, uh, but that's what I thought that it said. Um, I also um, got the lyrics to uh, another one of my favorite Christmas songs is We Three Kings. It says, we three kings of Orient are... Um, I honestly believed, probably about the age of seven or eight, uh, that the song said, We Three Kings of Oriental Tar. I don't know where it came from. I don't know why, but that's how I would sing it. Every single time I would hear the song, those were the words that came to me. Now, for each of the carols that we're going to observe throughout the month of December... Uh, we are going to give you uh, a copy of the right lyrics. So you should have gotten a little half sheet of paper uh, with the lyrics to the song uh, that we are going to be studying and looking at today. So many of our carols were actually written to Christ. They have such deep and rich meanings. And most of these love songs have impacted generations for centuries. And today we're going to look at the oldest one of them all, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. One of my favorite of all time Christmas songs. Now the lyrics have, um, have been changed and added and lines have been altered and shifted. But most of this song was written around the year A.D. 800. A.D. 800. 
and is commonly linked to a man by the name of Thomas Helmore, who brought the song into its current form in the year 1851. Now, when you take a moment, um, if you would, and if, you, if you've already been a Gold Star student, you have already looked at those lyrics on that page, and you've read all the way through the front and the back of them. But if you begin to read those lyrics, if you listen to them as they were sung this morning, you might be thinking to yourself, how on earth is this a Christmas song? How on earth? Why all of the doom and gloom? Why all of the exile? Why the dark shadows? Why even the death that is talked about in this song? Now, perhaps no other song really sums up. Now, I need you to, to listen to me for just a moment. If you don't get anything else um, today, I need you to get this. There's no other Christmas carol that I really believe sums up Christmas like this song. In fact, I could have spent weeks talking about this one Christmas carol because the reality is before we can truly celebrate the joy of Christmas, we need to understand the deep sadness that preceded it. Before we can truly celebrate the joy of Christmas, we need to understand the deep sadness that preceded it. I want to give you just a little bit of context here, a little bit of background. Uh, we're going to read in the book of Isaiah. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to the book of Isaiah chapter 7. Uh, the book of Isaiah chapter 7, it's in the Old Testament. Um, the author of this song O come, O come, Emmanuel, had a firm grasp, not only on the history of Israel, but on the hope of every man. You see, today we're living between the tensions of two advents, between the tensions of two advents, the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ. And I want you to hold to that thought for just a moment. This is why this song, O come, O come, Emmanuel, is so relevant for us today. Now, I want to read to you just two verses out of the book of Isaiah chapter 7. Just two verses here. And then unpack how we got this song. I'm going to read in verse number 13. And he said, hear then, O house of David. Is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? And verse 14, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And this is God's word for us today. Let's pray. God, we come to you in this place. We ask of you right now to reveal yourself through a familiar passage and a familiar scripture that we would hear at Christmas time. God, I ask that you would give us truths through this song that are pulled out of scripture. God, I pray that you would just help us to see something fresh and new and be reminded of this deep sadness that was incurring in the life of the believers in Israel in this day and age and why this song is so crucial and important to you and to our lives as believers. And I just ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The history of Israel was one of perpetual disobedience. 
And as we read through just these two verses of this passage, it comes to us at a time when the nation of Israel was living in a completely doom and anguish and darkness period of life. There was no hope for them. They're in this place where they are suffering the effects of God's judgment because they have been in long-standing stubbornness and immorality and idolatry and injustice. And King Ahaz is the one who is ruling in Israel, and he is one of the worst kings that is talked about in the Old Testament. Now an enemy has laid siege to Jerusalem, and they are completely outmatched. There's nowhere for them to go. And Ahaz begins to cave in to this pagan nation, so much so that he even sacrificed his own son. Now he's in the middle of this dilemma, though. He, he's kind of stuck. His hands are tied with, do I trust God or do I hire another pagan nation and work alongside of them to defeat this enemy? Now, if they do this, he would be forming an alliance with an enemy of an enemy. He would be forming an alliance with someone who is in the state of Assyria, the ones who were so pagan, they sacrificed children. And so Ahaz decides he's going to make his rounds through the city. And he begins to talk to all of these people and devise this plan of how he's going to go against this enemy nation. And Isaiah, prophet Isaiah, steps onto the scene and he confronts Ahaz. And he says, Ahaz, do not make this deal. Don't go with this pagan nation. Trust God. Now, Ahaz decides that he's going to reply, and he says this, he says this to Isaiah. He says, I can't test God. Who am I? Who am I to test God in this way? Now, Ahaz pretends as though he's going to listen to Isaiah, that he's going to do what Isaiah says, when all along Ahaz has already made up his choice and decision to do the wrong thing. He was going to form this alliance anyways. I just want to put this out there to you, church. All too often, I think that we as believers are just like Ahaz. Just like Ahaz. How many times have we prayed to God for help and made a promise that you would do what God wanted you to do, but you really had no intention of ever doing it? You know that we typically come to God uh, as long as it doesn't inconvenience us. We want to we come um, to God and want God to come through for us as long as it doesn't inconvenience us. I want you to look back at verse number 13 with me. It says, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you would weary my God also? You know, Ahaz could not go back. He would have looked foolish to his people as a king. He had already decided what he was going to do. He had placed his bets. I know, I know that I'm going to overcome this, this enemy that is right before us, and I've come up with a plan. But in the end, that plan ends up failing, and it was costly to Israel. He failed to trust in the promise of God, and he did not put his hope where it should have been all along. I think it's very clear from this text and from history that we, like Ahaz and the nation of Israel, all too often find ourselves living in disobedience. 
We find ourselves living in disbelief and in turn we suffer from the dysfunction and debilitating consequences of our own sin. And this is where Israel finds themselves at this very moment. They refuse to believe in the promise of God and therefore they're living lives of hopelessness. They've refused to put their trust in the promises of God and they're living their lives in fear. And so as we begin to dissect this song, we're going to see three truths that are going to come from the song and from scripture where the nation of Israel is. And so the first thing I need you to see this morning is the cry of the people. The cry of the people. There's a mood in this song that matches the nation of Israel. And it matches the mood of so many people today. There is a longing. There's an aching, a yearning, and a hoping. There must be something more. There must be something better. Have you ever been in the place where you've thought to yourself, is anybody listening to me? God, where are you? The nation of Israel, we see from this passage, was in a place of spiritual exile. People are in sin. And as we know from Scripture, sin leads to death. Do you know, um, I I believe I've shared this with you uh, in the past. Um, I spent almost four years in pre-med school. I wanted to, uh, to be a pediatric surgeon. Uh, right out of high school, I, I had no plans of going into ministry or, or becoming a pastor. And um, I was attending uh, school up until we got married and we had Israel and Esther. Uh, and I was still going to school and I was um, about to finish up my fourth year and be able to, to step into medical school. And um, I could have gone to any school uh, in the country. I, I was graduating, uh, pre, I would have graduated pre-med school at the top in my class. Um, and, and ever since I stepped away from uh, being in the medical field and working uh, with doctors and being in school, um, I've kept up on medical journals. Um, I read medical studies constantly. Uh, it's just something that I, I see as entertaining for myself, and it helps keep my mind occupied at times. Do you know that despite all of our advances in medical technology, that we cannot stop death? Do you guys know that? We cannot stop death from occurring No one talks about death over the holidays, but the reality is is that Jesus came to defeat death. And as the song says, from the depths of hell thy people save and give them victory over the grave. Church, the cry of Christmas, the cry of Christmas is that millions and millions of people still have no idea about the first advent. People have no clue about Christ. There are some people who have never even heard his name. I was reading a medical study the other day that said to me, statistics say that 105 people die every 60 seconds. That means in the one hour of time that we will spend together, over 6,000 people will die and and many of them will have no hope. There's a deep sorrow in the lives of so many people and the cry of Christmas is often disguised and masked by pleasure seeking or by anger or by frustration or by worldly pleasures that will only give us something temporary. You know, it's often numbed with addiction or or, uh, hopelessly soothed with 
filled relationships. Do you know that's why Jesus said in John chapter 10 that the thief comes not but to steal, to kill, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. He didn't mean that you wouldn't have suffering. He didn't mean that you wouldn't have loss or pain. But he came so that you could experience heaven now and know what was to come for the future. God knows how empty life is. And he knows that we cannot do this life without his son, which is why he sent him to the earth. You know, he gave us Emmanuel. He gave us himself in the form of Jesus. Emmanuel, God with us. You know, Emmanuel is the very essence of God and he came to reveal the Father in the flesh. I want you to look at Matthew chapter 1 on the screen and it said, She shall bring forth a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he shall save the people from their sins. Now all of this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel which being interpreted as God with us. Matthew 1, 21 through 23. The essence of Christmas is Emmanuel, the name God with us. And if we miss this, then we miss Christmas. And if we miss Christmas, then we miss Christ. You know, all we wind up with is songs and lights and food and gifts and programs and activities, but no deity You know, many people today want to celebrate Christmas with presents, but they do not have the presence of Christ with them. Emmanuel gives our life meaning and purpose. Do you know it's Emmanuel who makes Christmas worth celebrating? So you hear the cry of the people. I also want you to see the coming of Christ. The coming of Christ. I want to look back at verse number 14. And he says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign, and behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Let's go to verse 15. And he shall eat curds and honey, and when he knows how to refuse... Um, the evil and choose the good for before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted and the Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such a day as have not come since the day of Ephraim departed from Judah the king of Assyria and in that day the Lord will whistle for the fly that is at the end of the stream of Egypt and for the bee that is the land of Assyria. And verse 19, and they will all come and settle in the steep ravines and in the clefts of the rock and all the thorn bushes and all the pastures. And in that day the Lord will shave with a razor that is hired beyond the river with the king of Assyria and the head of the hair of the feet and it will sweep away the beard also. He's beginning to to tell us and paint a very clear picture to us about what the Lord will do when he comes, the signs that will happen, the signs that will be before the people where they will know what the Lord is, is doing and what he's about to do and why he has come. He's saying there's going to be a day where people will be cut off, those who have walked away or those who did not believe in me. And he's saying, but the Lord will come and he will rescue and he will save 
Do you know Isaiah, uh, Isaiah, when announcing the coming of Christ just a few chapters later in chapter 11, he describes this baby as a fresh shoot out of the stump or a root of Jesse, as the song puts it, who was the, the father of King David. And, and it says in, in Isaiah 11.1, 1, And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. He's talking about the lineage of Christ and where he was to come from. In other words, this dry, dead stump of defunct monarch was going to sprout fresh hope for a nation who was hopeless. This is what the, the hymn writer had in mind when he penned, O come thou rod of Jesse. Free thine own from Satan's tyranny. Jesus would come from humble roots. And as we will see later in this series, and hark the herald angel sings, that only humble people will receive and recognize Jesus as king. Do you know that more people will reject Jesus than receive him? It's a sad, sad reality. But the scripture says that he came unto his own and his own received him not. The coming of Emmanuel should be a reminder of the mission of Jesus. The mission of Jesus. I want us to see through this song and through this passage that he came to ransom. Jesus came to ransom. The song says, ransom captive Israel. Do you know Isaiah 35.10 says in that the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with songs and everlasting joy will be upon their head. And they shall obtain joy and gladness and sorrow and sighing shall flee away from them. Do you know we too as spiritual exiles need to be ransomed? We have to be bought and paid for with a price. And that was the mission of Jesus. Christmas is about Christ who came to earth to save the world from the punishment of sin. That's why Peter tells us that it was not God's will that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. Because Christ did not want to see people be punished and uh, endure the wrath of God in hell because of the way that they lived here on earth. That's why Jesus even said in his ministry in Mark chapter 10 that the Son of Man came not to be ministered to, but he came to give his life as a ransom for many. A ransom, church, for you, for me. Do you know that Christmas is not just about a baby in a manger, but it's about a man who went to the cross and rose from the dead. So he came to ransom, but he also came to redeem. Christ came to redeem. Jesus not only paid for your price and my price of sin, but we've been liberated, church. We've been set free, free from bondage. We've been given a new life and we're no longer slaves, but children. We've moved from creation to one of God's children and we'll be able to be in his presence in the end. We know that we know that we know that there's a perfect place coming. I love what, what Peter said in 1 Peter. He says that for as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things. 
You were, not, you were not bought with silver and gold or from vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but you were bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ as the lamb without spot and without blemish. He came to redeem, but he also came to restore. He came to restore. I just want to read to you from the book of Luke. I want, I want you guys to hear something here. Where are you at? It said, according to the customs of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will do great things before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before them in the spirit and power of Elijah. And it says, to, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, and to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in many years. Then the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and bring to you good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you will not believe my word, which will be fulfilled in their time. In verse 21, and the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak, and they realized that he had seen a vision in that temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. Do you know, finally, in this story, his son is born, and they're getting ready to name him after his father, Zechariah, and his wife says that they are to call him John. And people are like, why? Why are we going to call him John? No one in your family has this name. Let's ask Zechariah. And the father writes down the name John. And if you read into, like, verse number 64, 65, 66, somewhere in there, you see Zechariah was saying that his son was to be John the Baptist, who would tell everyone that the sunrise was coming, that there was something good on the horizon for people. And if you look at the next portion of that song and one that we sang, it says, oh, come now, day spring. They were waiting for something to occur, something to happen. Do you know when, when you see, the thing is, is that when clouds cover our lives, and it's darker in the day, and, and it's colder, it's easy to forget that the sun is still present. Um, probably about 11 years ago, uh, my family and I were living uh, here in Ionia. Um, our, our two um, oldest were toddlers, um, and we, we went uh, on, a, on a vacation to Florida, 
and we were so excited. Uh, we had probably about two and a half foot of snow um, on the ground here, and um, we, we got on the plane uh, to head to Florida, and it was negative three degrees outside. And we were excited that we were going um, away uh, for Christmas, and we were going to go to the sun uh, and have a, a, just a great time uh, while we were there. And we get to Florida, and we're there for six days, I believe. And over the course of that six days, it rained every single day that we were there. Um, I'm not sure that we saw the sun at all. It was completely cloud-covered and just gray and dreary outside. Uh, and and I, I sat, and, and as I was reflecting upon that very moment of time, that thought came to me, is that when clouds cover and it's darker in the day and it's cooler than it's supposed to be, we've completely forgotten that the sun is still there. The sun never goes away. It just it's just covered or blocked out by the clouds. Do you know that when storms happen in our lives, when struggles occur, when suffering and sorrow happens, it often blocks our view of the sun. But I love what the Bible says to us in those very moments. In Malachi chapter 4, he says, But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings. So church, remember, it doesn't matter what storm of life that you're walking through in this very moment of time. Don't be short-sighted. Don't allow your suffering to keep you in a place where you've forgotten that you serve a God who can move that mountain in front of you. He will arise with healing in his wings. Emmanuel has come not to abandon his people. In fact, he indwells in us and he continues to change us. So he also came to recalibrate us. He came to recalibrate us. I couldn't get sanctification to start with the letter R, uh, so I used the next best thing, um, recalibrate. Um, we are not only saved, but as believers, we're in a continuing and ongoing process of change and growth that's causing us to be conformed or transformed more into the image of Christ. Do you know that salvation is not the end of our story, but it's only the beginning? It's only the beginning. We, we are saved through salvation, but then sanctification begins to occur in our life, and it's that continual transformation of the mind. There was a pastor and an author uh, that I read recently uh, one of his books that said Christians do not cease to pursue sin uh, because they have developed wills of iron, but they cease continued sinning because they've been given a new nature with, with love for what God loves. Meaning that as believers, the closer that we get to God, it's not that we will become sinless, like I always say, but it's that we begin to sin less. We're becoming people that are different, people who are not perfect in this life, but people who are looking more and more like Christ as we live this life, as we seek God, as we seek change and renewal of our minds. 
Do you know, if you go back, and we, we talk so much about Romans chapter 12 and, and, and being renewed in, in the spirit of our mind, but so often we stop at verse number 2. We, we don't jump down and continue to read from verse number 9 all the way down to 21 or 22 at the end of that chapter. And it begins to tell you what happens when your, your mind is renewed in Christ. And it says, let love be genuine. Abhor or hate what is evil. Give affection, brotherly affection to one another. It says, it goes on to tell us that, that we should never be lacking in zeal, but be fervent in spirit when serving the Lord. It tells you what comes out of you when, you're, when your mind is renewed, the marks of a, a true Christian. That's what comes through sanctification. And so often we think that just because we're saved that we're good to go. We've checked off the box. We're not going to hell anymore. We should be continually growing and changing and becoming more and more like our creator so that the people around us can see the hope that we have inside of us. Do you know all who claim Christ as Savior, we've been placed into a family and we bear his name and that in turn means that we must share in his mission. So you hear the cry of the people. You see the coming of Christ, but there was also the commission. The commission of Christ. We just finished up our series, Engage. Embracing the journey of discipleship. What does that mean? What does that look like as a believer? Do you know most of us um, find ourselves in this, this place um, with a story that I'm about to share. So I asked... Um, so I, I just want to share a story. Um, Several weeks ago, uh, some friends of ours uh, were over at our house, um, and it was a Sunday evening, and um, we, we kind of let the time slip away from us. We were having fun. We were laughing. Uh, just all this stuff was, was happening, and, and it was starting to get late, um, and our, our kids were getting cranky, and their kids were getting a little cranky, and and we're like, all right, well, we better, we better call it a night and start getting wrapped up. And as we start getting cleaned up and wrapped up, um, the wife goes, hey, can you go start the car and warm it up? It's kind of cold outside. And so frantically starts padding, you know, like pockets on, on pants. And we cannot find these keys anywhere. Like these keys to their vehicle are missing. And we begin to just tear apart our house. We're looking in every place that we've been in our house. We cannot find these keys anywhere uh, at all. And we got to the point where um, I was just like, all right, let's just, we'll load up in my minivan and I'll drive you guys home, and it's late, and I'm like, we'll just go, we'll, we'll try and find these keys, and so we get in the car, and we take off down the road, um, and it's pitch black outside, and then I get a call from my wife that she found the keys um, outside in our backyard with our dogs, and um, we, we were like, what? How did that happen? Well, we figured out how these keys happen. But there was this moment in time in that situation for each one of us where we had that, that sinking feeling, that sinking feeling that our keys were missing. And I think every single person in here has had that experience at one time or another. Like you can't find your keys or you can't find your wallet and you're like, oh my gosh, the worst possible things come to your mind. No, just, just the four of us in that situation? You see, a key, specifically in the olden days, meant that you had authority 
in power. Have you ever heard the phrase or someone being honored with the keys to the city? Do you know that there are people today who are seeking a key? They're, they're seeking keys to success. They're, they're seeking keys to a happy marriage or keys to a good health life or keys to happiness. Do you know church, the writer of this song knew what the Bible says when he talked about the key of David. The key of David. Do you know Isaiah 22, 22 says, And the key of the house of David will lay upon his shoulders, and so he shall open and none shall shut, and he shall shut and none shall open. And I love what they go on to say as Isaiah was prophesying what was going to be spoken about in Revelation chapter 1. And it says, I am he that lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Is Jesus talking through John here, and just commercial break for just a moment, commercial break, uh, starting January 5th, we're launching a brand new Bible study on Wednesday nights, uh, starting at 6.30 right here in the church, and we're going to be studying through the entire book of Revelation. I would encourage you to come to be here, 6.30 every Wednesday, and we're going to break down uh, exactly what that verse, that verse means. Why did Jesus say he had the keys of hell and of death? So be here or B square. I don't know what that means, but I said it. <laughs> the Bible tells us that Jesus has the keys to hell and to death. He rescued us from hell and he locks the doors and he alone unlocks the door of heaven and brings us home. He, he's the one who closes the path of misery like the song was singing about. And this is the hope that people need on Christmas. Do you know that only Jesus is the key to eternal life and to heaven? So, as I was putting this together, I was kind of hit with this, this question and, and this, this thought about heaven. And I just want to ask you guys a question in here this morning. A question that I don't want you to jump to an answer. I want you to think about for just a moment with me. Um, heaven sounds great, what we see in Scripture. Pearly gates, places of perfection, mansions, being in the presence of God. But heaven often appeals to our flesh. Now before you throw your Bibles at me and try to condemn me uh, for just a moment, I, I want to I explain something. I mean, after all, who really doesn't want to go to heaven? I mean, honestly, who doesn't want to be in a place of perfection where you don't sin anymore? Who doesn't want to be in a place that Revelation 4 talks about where there is no more sorrow? and no more death, and no more pain, and no more crying, because all of the former things have passed away. Who doesn't want to be in that place? But my question for you this morning, because those things appeal to the human flesh, and my question is this, would you still want heaven if Jesus wasn't there? Would you still want it? Would you still want the place of perfection? Would you still want the no more sorrow and the no more pain and the no more suffering, the no more tears if Jesus wasn't there? 
Because guess what, church? Heaven is heaven because of the majesty and glory of God that is in it. Why? Because the greatest glory of heaven is Christ. So often, we we talk so flippantly about heaven. We talk about all of the grand things that the Bible talks about that, that come with heaven. And yes, all of those things are amazing. And I cannot wait until I'm standing there in that perfect place. But I, for one, for a fact, know I would not want heaven if Christ was not there. Because he's the only reason why I get to go to heaven. And if my heaven is only there so that I can live in a, a place of peace and comfort then it's not really heaven at all. The song goes on to say, Come, thou desire of nations, come. And it's a reference to one of the prophets named Haggai, chapter 2 and verse number 7. And Haggai is talking about this desire for peace. And it's never been greater because of the coming Christ. Do you know the sad reality today is that our world is still filled with so much hate and strife and discord that our commission really should be to be on mission with Christ and to proclaim the gospel of peace. Do you know in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus did not call us to be peacekeepers. Not keepers of the peace. He called us to be peacemakers. Those are two different things. One is passive. The other is very, very much active. To be a peacemaker is one who brings forth the gospel to the lost and hurting. One who brings truth into darkened places. And as believers in this this room with me, We should be on mission with the very thing that Jesus came to do. This Christmas, as believers, we need to hear the cry of the people who have no peace. We need to remind them of Christ. We we need to let people know that Emmanuel has come. And we need to see Christmas as a time when we have every opportunity to share the true meaning of Christmas. You know, Emmanuel gives our life meaning and purpose, and it's only Emmanuel who makes Christmas worth celebrating. I think that's why the writer over and over and over said, Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel has come. Emmanuel has come. Let's pray. God, we come to you in this place, Lord, and we, we don't even have words enough to say thank you. That you sent Emmanuel to us to, to, to be God with us, to bring hope and peace and joy and love and perfect justice. God, I'm asking in this place that as we begin to navigate through this series and we look at at you and in God's word about about how we should live our lives and how we should focus on on different things at Christmas time and reevaluate and recalibrate where we are as people. 
God, I'm asking for something fresh and something new for us. God, I pray that that you would show us what Micah was talking about and how we can be people who, who love mercy and walk humbly and that we're people who are just. But God, we, we cannot do that unless we allow ourselves to be sanctified by your, by your truth, that our mind is saturated in what is godly, what is pure. So Lord, as we navigate through this Christmas season, help us to think on, on lovely things on praiseworthy things. Help us to think on you and your truth. And I ask, Lord, that you would invade this place, invade our hearts. Help us to be changed, molded, shaped more and more into your image this Christmas. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen and amen. Church, we appreciate you being here uh, with us as we kicked off this series. We hope to see you back next week as we will be in week number two. Uh, please do not forget that we have a few things coming this month. The ladies event that's happening on the 17th. Um, the candlelight service that's happening on December 19th. There will be no morning service that day. No morning service on the 19th. We will be doing that candlelight service at night 6 p.m. There's child care up to age 5 for that evening. So invite your friends and family. We hope to see you guys here. It's going to be a great time. Outside of that, church, we love you. We hope that you have a blessed week. And we hope, 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 hope and pray uh, to see you back next Sunday. Uh, you are sent.